Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos Hagadol. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
We've been returned to Israel and are like dreamers. All the leaders of the world are trying to understand how, while our people flood back in from all the nations, and after centuries of tears, we see you, Hashem, in everything and await your warm embrace of full redemption.
הדלת, למה חר את זה? כולם יודעים. בלילות ובימים לזרום עם החיים, להתחדש מבפנים. כשהכל סביב פורח Thank you. 
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning, all. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos and a big Erev Shabbos. Talking about Shabbos Agadol here. It's Friday morning, April the 12th, the 7th of Nisan. Happy birthday to those who are celebrating a birthday on the 7th of Nisan. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Mitzorah, Erev Shabbos Agadol in New York, candlelighting 712. 712, your official candlelighting time. Yibane, that was the Shira Hadasha Boys Choir. Itzik Dadya with Ten Chiyuch. Israel Bilvavot, that great single. Dedicating that, of course, to Mr. Simon Jacob, who right now is in the Holy Land. Shia Rubenstein with Lachad Odi. Elio Anavi, Eitan Freilach, Simcha Liner, Hatov, done by Yonatan Razel, and of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. 49 degrees, 41% humidity, winds in northeast, 7 miles an hour. Cloudy today with a high of 64. Then tonight, rain in New York with a low 58. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, a high temperature, 73 degrees. Not bad. Should save some of those numbers for Cholomoid, I'm telling you. Yerushalayim is at 65. We're at 49 degrees here on a Friday morning. Erev Shabbos HaGadol at JM in the AM, 25 minutes before 7 o'clock. Good morning, everybody. Uh, plenty to talk about with Malcolm Honline. He is the executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He will join us for the weekly update, uh, which will be coming up, um, which will be coming up uh, at seven forty Eastern time this morning here at JM in the AM. Um. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about, boy. That's for sure. All right, so we'll get to everything, hopefully, or at least most things in that session. Rabbi Yudin coming up. That'll be at uh, 8.15 this morning with the uh, discussion of Parshas Mitzorah and Shabbos HaGadol. And we'll uh, wrap things up at 9 a.m. Eastern time here at JM in the a.m. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, 24 minutes before 7 o'clock. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. It's a Friday at JM in the a.m.
תדמיינת, כשישנת גם כשקמת, עם אנשים לא מאמינים בו, והחושים עוד אוחזים בו. חלום שעוד יקום ויתגשם, כשזה יקרה אתה תהיה חזק ושלם. אהבת את הרצון, את כוח הדמיון, תגיע לחזון הגדול. אם אתה נופל אז קום מתפלל, תמשיך להשתדל מ... Dancing and singing Shackles gone It's an open highway In the blink of an eye We're on our way A little faith A little trust in him And soon We're singing and dancing Give me your love Everyone up
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, and this Erev Shabbos, I got all Erev Shabbos, Parshas Mitzorah, candle lighting in New York at 712. A whole bunch of information next week about the uh, Holomoid events. We'll have a lot of conversations about different things that are happening and some special stuff going on here next week at J.M. in the A.M. Make sure to be tuned in, of course, all week long. 49 degrees, cloudy, and a high temperature of 64. Rain tonight in the New York area. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com. On the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, in the beloved NSN app. Eighth day had Geula. You heard Dovi Shapiro in there with Lech Alzeh, Ari Goldwag's Aishas Heil, Yishtabach from Yaakov Shweki, Ben Sion Schenker with Chad Gadya and Dayenu in honor of Shabbos Hagadol here at JM in the AM. 49 degrees and clouds, rain tonight as we said. Um, don't forget that Aaron's Casino Farms has the amazing Aaron's Passover Mega Center in Queens with every brand of every product you could possibly imagine for Pesach. Things are heating up Pesach shopping-wise. Make sure to hop to it, get over to Aaron's Passover Mega Center and get everything you need, and I mean everything. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. Boker Tov from Jam Dan. גליצה לשעה שתיים, כאן גוני כהן עם מה שקורה עכשיו. הנשיא ריבלין הודיע ביום שני החל בהתייעצויות עם הסיעות הנבחרות.
בנוגע לזהות ראש הממשלה הבא. כתבתנו שיר עזרף מוסרת שסיעות הליכוד, כחול לבן, ש"ס, יהדות התורה, חד"ש, תע"ל והעבודה, יגיעו למשכן ביום שני. בשלישי יגיעו סיעות ישראל ביתנו, איחוד מפלגות הימין, מרץ, כולנו ורע"מ, בל"ד. לאחר קבלת התוצאות הסופיות ביום רביעי הבא, ישקול הנשיא את הצורך בהשלמת ההתייעצויות. ומוקדם יותר היום האלוף במילואים טל רוסו הודיע שלא יפרוש ממפלגת העבודה. זאת בניגוד לדיווחים לפיהם רצה לפנות את מקומו למספר שבע ברשימה, חברת הכנסת מרב מיכאלי. בהודעה שפרסם בחשבון הטוויטר שלו כתב רוסו, חשוב לי כבר עכשיו לומר באופן חד משמעי, אני מפלגת העבודה. לא הופעל עליי לחץ לפרוש מטעם אף אחד, זכיתי לתמיכה מצד כולם. עוד הוסיף האלוף במילואים, תוצאות הבחירות העגומות מבחינת המפלגה ומבחינתי האישית מחייבות זמן לחשבון נפש. רוכב אופנוע בשנות החמישים לחייו נפצע קשה לאחר שהחליק ברחוב שמואל בית בירושלים. כתבנו יובל שגב מוסר שהוא פונה לבית החולים שערי צדק עם חבלת ראש. רון אליהו עובד, בן 18, שנהרג מפגיעת אוטובוס במהלך גיבוש ליחידה מובחרת בצה"ל, הובא למלוכות בקיבוץ פלמחים. משפחתו הסכימה לתרום את קרניות עיניו. כתבנו בדרום רמי שני מוסר שנהג האוטובוס, שחשוד בגרימת מוות ברשלנות, הוא תושב הפזורה הבדואית בשנות ה-30 לחייו. המשטרה פתחה בחקירה משולבת עם מצח. המהפכה בסודאן, המועצה הצבאית השולטת כעת ברפובליקה, מבהירה, אין לנו שאיפות להישאר בשלטון. עוד מסרה המועצה כי הרודן שהודח אתמול, עומר אל-בשיר, לא יוסגר למדינה אחרת ויועמד לדין בסודאן. כתבתנו עמית חדד מציינת שאל-בשיר מבוקש על ידי בית הדין הפלילי הבינלאומי בגין פשעים נגד האנושות ורצח עם בחבל דרפור שבמערב הרפובליקה. מזג האוויר היום התחממות ניכרת, בתחילת השבוע ירידה בטמפרטורות עם סיכוי לגשם מקומי קל. ואלה זמני כניסת השבת, שבת הגדול, פרשת מצורע. בירושלים ב-6.5, בתל אביב ב-6.45, בחיפה ב-6.37, ובבאר שבע תיכנס השבת ב-6.47 דקות. ואלה זמני צאת השבת מחר בערב, בירושלים ב-7.44, בתל אביב, בחיפה ובבאר שבע. תצא השבת ב-7:46. שבת שלום, אלה החדשות.
song for my dear friend, Jonathan Rosen.
Jam in the AM. Aryeh Kunstler, Az Yashir Moshe. Here at Jam in the AM. Yaakov Shweki before that, Vihisha Amda. Kadesh Orachatz from the Singable Seder. And of course, Lois Havoseinu opened things up. That's Diaspora here at Jam in the AM. 20 minutes after the hour, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Parshas Mitzorah, Erev Shabbos Hagadol, believe it or not, a week away from the big holiday. Candle lighting at 712 in New York, 712. Um, <laughs> Bakery Guy says on the app, TGIF, thanks for all that you all do. Thank you, Bakery Guy. Devora says, wishing the Yad Binyamin Wolves good luck as they attempt to continue their undefeated streak and go 8-0 to clinch a playoff spot. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Devora. Spread the word in the Holy Land that we are... We are here every single day with amazing programming on NSN. By the way, anybody who missed the um, who missed the Erev Shabbos show with Mark Zamek that uh, <clears throat> brought to life the amazing Cantor Sherwood Goffin, who uh, of course left us last week. But what I mean by brought to life is Mark took pieces of a conversation that he had with Chaz and incorporated it into the program. Uh, uh, this week. It's really amazing. Anyway, if you missed it, and if you missed the encore at 3 a.m., it's uh, going to encore again at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, just under three hours from now here on NSN. Uh, even in Israel, because candle lighting is so late, you have an, appo- uh, you have an, uh, an opportunity uh, to listen and to uh, hear it. So again, that's the uh, Erev Shabbos show. It's all brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. And uh, Mark Zamek always does a great job each week, but this week in particular, a really Unbelievable listen, so make sure to tune in. Um, don't forget that our friends at Aaron's Casino Farms have the Passover Mega Center, which is pretty amazing. Every product of every brand of every product you can imagine is there, just a, a few feet away from the um, regular Aaron's Casino Farms in Queens, New York. So check that out. Also, don't forget Aaron's West Orange. All purchases between uh, now and Pesach. If you use your Kushner loyalty card, 4% of the purchase goes to the Kushner schools. So keep that in mind if you're a Kushner parent. And if you're heading to Aaron's in the West Orange, New Jersey. Lots of uh, Cholamoid information coming up next week. Plenty starting on Monday. Make sure to be tuned in here at JMNAM. Also, on JM Sunday, Matis has scheduled a conversation with Gorf. Uh, they're going to be talking about the brand new Haggadah. It was great having him here, and Matis gets to uh, uh, speak with Gore from his perspective on a Sunday, starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Matis and Gore have a lot of common interests, a lot, uh, much more than I have with Gore. So you'll hear some interesting questions, I'm sure, and it'll be a great conversation on Sunday. And they may even bring up who's in that uh, Exodus selfie that's in the uh, Haggadah. They might bring it up. You never know. Might be a friend or two of Matis in there. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's happening Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure to be tuned in. I know a lot of people out there are going to be very busy over the next few days uh, getting uh, uh, approaching the holiday. Uh, so make sure to keep us at NSN on all the time. You'll be glad you did. We'll keep you entertained, informed, and just it is an amazing and incredible resource to have in the background as you go through your day, shopping, cleaning, etc., etc., Etc. So make sure to keep us on and enjoy all of our wonderful programming here on NSN. Even if you're cleaning the car this Sunday, as so many people are going to be doing, make sure you have us on 
to make the time go much, much quicker. 23 minutes after the hour, weekly update coming up at 7.40 Eastern time with Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Keep it here for that and more at JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Shalom Rav, that is uh, Baruch Levine here at J.M. the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos for this uh, Erev Shabbos Hagadol, Erev Shabbos Parshas Mitzorah, candle lighting in New York, 712. Don't forget our friends at JewishWorldReview.com, an amazing opportunity to um, print out thousands, and I'm not even exaggerating, uh, thousands of articles before Shabbos. And before Yontif next week, for you to uh, enjoy and learn from, etc., jewishworldreview.com. Check them out, and you'll be glad you did, especially if you're one of those people that likes to be up on current events and read varied opinions. Uh, Baruch Levine with Shalom Rav. You heard Rebone done by Barry Weber. Micha Gammerman had the Pesach medley in Yehuda Green Am Mekadeshe. Mentioned earlier in the week how great an Arab Shabbos selection that is from his brand new album, The Shamala. Friday morning, again, uh, candlelighting in New York, 712. Uh, this will be the final weekly update before Pesach, Erev Shabbos Hagadol, excuse me, Erev Pesach, rather. Uh, we will not be convening uh, with a weekly update with uh, Malcolm Honline, um, and not during a Cholamoid, but uh, three weeks from today, uh, which is um, the 3rd of May, the day after Yom HaShoah, we will reconvene and, um, I guess, review everything that's happened over the prior three weeks, which I would guess just the way things are going is going to be a significant amount of information. <laughs> that's what I would guess. Uh, Malcolm is going to be uh, spending Pesach in Puerto Vallarta. Um, and uh, again, once he's back, we'll reconvene the first Friday in May. Malcolm Honline is the executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the Weekly update on a Friday morning broadcast. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Yeah, good morning to you. Good nerve. Shabbos Yeah, boy, I'll tell you. When you tell us not to believe polls in Israel, it is unbelievable <laughs> how correct you are not to ever believe a poll. And by the way, it extended this time to not believing any exit polls in Israel. Because apparently people don't tell the truth before the election, and they even won't tell you the truth after the election. So and you can't even believe the results of the election. And they'll never... They're still being challenged and all sorts of things going on, but pretty much certified. Unbelievable. That. Unbelievable. All right, a couple of stories. We'll, we'll get to every angle of this, obviously. And we will talk about Space IL, folks. Don't worry. Got a lot of comments about that this morning. Um, I mean, there are three or four significant storylines with the election. I felt the first big one, and others, of course, put. Uh, we'll discuss in a minute what others felt were even bigger stories, but I thought the first big one was that the major parties garnered 71 votes, and it is amazing, this transition, because we, we had gotten used to Israel's major parties getting between 25 and 30 mandates maximum over the last couple of elections, and the fact that they garnered 71 seats was pretty significant. Uh, others suggest that the bigger stories would be the power, again, shown by the uh, religious parties. Um, many were shocked that the uh, people like Naftali Bennett and Moshe Faglin, especially once the, uh, uh, the polls had convinced us otherwise, the people are shocked that they are not part of the uh, new Knesset. And finally, uh, of course, you know, if, if the Arabs uh, would go out and vote or if the Arab vote would be more significant, they, they could, but I guess they just don't realize 
could really have a major effect on the direction of the Israeli government. So I, I hand it to you to start wherever you wish. Number number one, we'll start with that one, actually. Number one, were you uh, surprised that the major parties were able to attract the number of people they did and take away so much interest from the smaller parties in Israel? Well, I think there are, as you said, many surprising things and many questions, analyses that will be done about the voting patterns. What, what, what Did they represent a major shift of any kind? Uh, so the the fact that the two blocks, the two major blocks, emerged as strong as they did uh, may indicate that Israel will move back towards the two major party um, elections in the future if they can sustain, if, if Lapid and, and Gans can sustain blue and white, which is not for certain. And what will happen if BB has to step down or can we could remain a united party given the strong leaders, uh, people who will be rivals against one another? The um, uh, fact that they targeted parties to their left, and in the case of, of blue and white, and to the right, in the case of, of Likud, it's uh, ridiculous, obviously, to have 40 parties running and, and even still to have a dozen in the, in the Knesset. Mm. Um, so th- this could be a, a positive move. Uh, you know, it's not such a negative, and it's not anti-democratic to have other parties. It gives expression to minority groups or, or different points of view, people who have a right to advocate for uh, legislation that they see as important or priorities and values that they think are, are important. And this is, uh, you know, often misportrayed, I think. The fact that, that Bennett didn't make it and Fagelin didn't make it despite the last-minute polls that would have certainly in Fagelin's case indicated up to seven seats. Wow. And, and in Bennett's case, it was never that high except ever until uh, from the time he announced initially the reaction was but uh, was stronger but it did not catch on and Netanyahu clearly targeted Bennett in his uh, in the campaign uh wanting those votes to come under Likud and now Kahlon may come under to rejoin Likud which would bring him four more seats it doesn't change the gross number of 61 because they're counted anyway as part of that coalition, but it would bring Likud to to um, uh, 40 votes. So the religious parties did very well. I think people were returning to the base in this case, and I think Derry deserves a lot of credit. He's obviously a very shrewd political operator. Nobody had anticipated what he would do, even some who said that he wouldn't make the threshold. Right. So, you know, the, the outcome was very different. There are people who believe that uh, many people deliberately lied to the pollsters, both to confound them, but also because they felt that if it shows that Likud isn't doing so well, more people will vote for it to assure that Netanyahu stays as prime minister. But who thinks like that? I mean, you know how many tens of thousands of people you need among the citizens to think like that in order to pull that off? Well, I'm just saying what some people have asserted in the course of the post-election analysis. To me, the important thing, and I, I think I mentioned this to you on, on the air a couple of weeks ago, why when you asked me about the projection that right. BB would win, when I heard that the children of friends of mine in Israel and young people I spoke to when I was there and even since told me that they would vote Netanyahu, when in fact the projections and the uh, uh, predictions rather would have been that they would vote 
with a new party, a fresh party, different, more centrist. And in fact, young Israelis are uh, leaning more conservative, and that they that many of them, um, the millennials, voted for uh, Netanyahu in this in this election. So whether that has long term implications, also we we will see. And the reasons that they gave, what were the priorities? Obviously, the economy always, and Netanyahu is credited with the original steps when he was Minister of Finance, but also sustaining the startup nation policies, et cetera, that the economy is growing at 3.5% and something that he has touted. And whether or not he's directly responsible, certainly governments take get credit, just as they will be criticized if the economy was going the other direction. Uh, there are problems in the economy like everywhere else, but certainly strong showings and the projection of 35 again for, for this year. Uh, th- then secondly, that he has, and cited by many young people, the only one who, can, who talks both to Putin and to Trump and has good relations with them, and the uh, outreach to the Arab countries, the fact that he that Israel's isolation is broken with Africans and South Americans and all of them coming, something young people but older people as well picked up on. Yeah, traditionally, though, that's not a young, a young demographic issue, though, you know? Exactly, and that's, that's the point I'm making is that the... You know the criteria, at least that they said, uh, were surprised. Was surprising. Security was not surprising. And there, you would have thought blue and white had a, had a distinct advantage with all the former uh, chiefs of staff running uh, the party, essentially. But they do credit Netanyahu with not going to war, not being somebody who rushes to war, and sustaining it, even though there are obvious security threats. And while steps have been taken, they're not resolved. So it's interesting to see what are, are the issues that people, and then, of course, the domestic issues, the social issues, are important. But we're not, um, we're clearly not the the issue that motivated a lot of the voters. Uh, explain a couple of things. First of all, you just alluded to the fact that, that the blue and white party, it's possible they won't survive. Um that is because of what? No, no established policy or a personality that you know hasn't come really to the fore, even Gantz hasn't really come to the fore to be a leader of the party. What is it about them that so many people are predicting doom over the next half a year or so? Because it was cobbled together. It was, uh, and whenever you, you bring different uh, elements together, you always run the risk under time of tension or period of disappointment that they didn't win and they portrayed themselves as having won. Uh, and the differences between the, the camps and the you saw it during the campaign, there were internal rivalries, as there are certainly in Likud, but you have a, 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 at least one strong leader at the top who clearly has uh, an extra sense about how to, to deal with the politics of Israel and very shrewd, even though it comes under criticism for some of the things, clearly it, it works. In there, you don't have uh, uh, somebody, a unifying force, a figure between Gantz and Lapid. Right. So they could, you know, go back to to their own parties if they're looking to the future. You know, do they believe that, that it will be best served by staying together or by going on their own? Lapid, uh, some people say, was a, a hindrance to, to Gantz, that there were people who didn't want to vote and didn't want to see rotation. Right. Uh, others will say that, you know, he was more experienced and that he took over and ran the campaign at the end, uh, the last part of it. So, the, the you know, the and, and we haven't seen an ideological coherence yet 
Not that there are big differences. There are also not big differences between Gantz and Netanyahu on most of the, the key issues. You know, he it, ran on corruption. You know, with all that you just said, it, it's not the craziest thing to think and to conjecture that Bibi could really eliminate the influence of any small faction, and let's for a moment call the Haredi slash religious parties a small faction for a moment. I know they're very influential. He he could he could offer a coalition agreement with someone like Gantz. He's got plenty of portfolios, including some security type portfolios that that he could fill that personnel with, and they could have you know a reasonable government moving ahead. Do you think there's any thought of that? Well, certainly there's a lot of speculation about it, uh, and it would relieve the pressure off of Netanyahu. Yeah. But Gantz and Yalom and others have said they will not serve in a government if Netanyahu is there. So there could be a, a unity government if Netanyahu steps down. Mm. Now, we don't know how long this government is going to last, because within the year we, we will see the, the the charges being brought, to, and Netanyahu will try to change the law about indicting a, a sitting prime minister. Right. Uh with this current configuration, I'm not sure that he could get that through. And then the the um, public opinion in this would be very strongly uh, opposed to his continuing if he's indicted, certainly if he's convicted. A prime minister doesn't have to step down, unlike a minister who has to under indictment, uh, because they say a minister, if he's found innocent, then can go back to the job. Right. A prime minister, once they step down, can't go back. So the law gives a prime minister much more leeway. The question is, does he try to make a bargain, a deal to drop the charges, step down? Does he, um, you know, certainly will be finishing the year and and maybe longer before anything really happens. So there are a lot of question marks on each front. And if he does, what happens then within Likud for the succession when you have so many strong leaders like Edelstein and Sire and uh, Erdogan and others, who all of whom would like to be the inheritors. Um, and Gans and, uh, and and Blue and White, even um, now from the perspective of President Rivlin, Gans and Blue and White, even if they did have the religious parties with them and some of the fringe parties that they would be natural partners with, they still, math-wise, they still would not have enough to get the 61 mandates, correct? They would not have enough votes. And what you said about the uh, Orthodox parties there, at least there's a unifying right. value structure and certain goals that, that bring them together and they sustain. You know how many parties get started and then drop off, right. whereas the religious parties, you know, sometimes go down in number but reemerge very strong. When do, and, you, when do you think the historical watershed was for that? Because after every election there was always, you know, and before most elections, there was always, you know, some thought that the religious parties could really, as a block, be, you know, kingmakers, and they'll, you know, wait things out to see who gives them a better deal, the right or the left. And now it's like a fait accompli that everyone knows, not just now after the election, but even before and during, that they're basically aligning, you know, with Netanyahu. When would you say historically that, you know, became uh, the definite, that they're essentially, you know, right-wing partners? I would have to guess that 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 it was an evolution, not a um, immediate. And I think the growth in numbers in the in the uh, Haredi community really are dictating this. That you know, many religious and Orthodox Jews vote the general parties as well. Right. They don't all vote the, the Haredi parties. That those who listen and, and there are gedolim that told people vote for for the uh, religious lists, right. but. Uh, a good number of the people don't, 
the uh, so the the showing while very strong compared to other smaller parties is is again because of the defined constituency agenda etc that they are are uh, advocating the um, and Netanyahu obviously appeals to them they would not go the religious parties I do not see that they would go today as they did in the past with labor right. for, for many many years. Uh, go with a, a coalition with Lapid, as you know, there are many who are opposed him, and he has said things. Others have said things, you know, about the stopping the Haredim uh, uh, campaigns. That um, uh, the, the, I think that their options are really uh, more limited. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com. On the Nahum Siegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Reminder: Our next weekly update will be May the third at seven forty Eastern Time. May third, seven forty Eastern Time will be the next weekly update. As we wish everybody a wonderful upcoming holiday of Pesach. Malcolm Honline is with us. Um, you, you real? I'm, I'm sure you've thought of this, but but it's just it's interesting to 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 mention. So, person number thirty six on Lee Kud and person number thirty five on Blue and White never dreamt they'd actually get into the Knesset. And and now, if you pay attention to some of the people at the bottom of those lists, you know that you know a, a lot of unexpected victories. Yes, and there's a lot of commitments that have to be fulfilled. There's a lot of uh, shifting that will take place. But you're absolutely right. The the you know the people would have assumed, let's say, with Likud when they started out, that number 27 would be safe, number maybe right. 29, 30. But I don't think people thought that over 30 on either part side was uh, something that would be assured. And now they do. And I think a lot of people in you know um, Bennett's party certainly assumed the first five, six were safe to get right. in. Probably starting out with a much higher number. Um, and uh, Fagelin's list certainly thought until last week that they were getting in. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how the the lineup and and if does he, for instance, does Netanyahu reach out to uh, the former minister of justice Jaked and invite mm-hmm. her to join uh, Likud? Would be a good Likud, idea. Would be a good idea. She was very popular yeah. and um, um, herself by doing this. So if we, qu- I mean, just for the purposes of you know the, the way people watch spectator sports like this, if we call Bennett and um, and Faglin losers and all this, is Lieberman a winner or a loser or or basically parv in this uh, aftermath? No, I think he's a, he's a winner in the fact that he um, he didn't get big numbers as he did sometimes in the past, but he has a loyal Russian following. He appeals to them. He, he takes an anti-Haredi position. He takes other positions uh, that um, they support. And he just squeaked through and then immediately went on vacation, which is something he did the last time, too, because he, he doesn't want to engage in negotiations yet. Right. Uh, he wants to be there to be the, you know, to put him over the goal line right. of 61 and therefore negotiate the best possible deal he can. Obviously, I think he wants to be Minister of Defense again. Mm-hmm. And uh, that might be the price Netanyahu will have to pay. I don't see him doing without it, you know. But uh, everything is possible. Uh, he's a pragmatist, uh, and he he will do whatever perpetuates their position in in power and enables them to continue to to play this role. It's a strange schedule for us because normally this is happening toward the end of the secular year. You have Pesach right in the middle. How quickly can all this happen? I mean, by the time. We sit down to the Seder, we would probably be at what point in this whole process? Well, by next week, first of all, we'll have all the final counts, and you'll have, you know, it'll start 
outstanding speculation, but the negotiations have already begun about the next uh, government. And next week, the, the president will summon the different parties. We will make probably the decision as to who he's going to ask. He may, you know, drag it out until Holomoid, but not much more. And then the parties, whoever he selects, will have um, two periods of time up to, I think, a total of 40 or 42 days oh. to form a government, in which case, if he fails, it goes then to the other major party um, in, the, uh, in blue and white to, to do it. The president will, you know, will approach him, unless he doesn't think anybody can do it. You could go back to elections. There are people who believe there will be elections in a year or two years anyway. Uh, I don't. I don't think that that kind of speculation is is meaningful at this point, right. but the the nobody can see how they would get to a majority of sixty one for the center left as opposed to the center right coalition where the numbers hang together um so we're talking about i don't know sometime in May or June obviously when when he officially will be prime minister again. I think it could be in May, and then in June we may well see the rollout of the deal of the century. Uh, should we just uh, should we just learn to live with it in terms of the uh, vitriol and terrible disunity uh, during the campaigns and before these elections? Do we, do we just have no choice at this point? It's, it's really not going to change as we get further and further down the road. I, I don't see change. There are a lot of people who called for it. There are a lot of people who have tried to run decent campaigns and have. Uh, and have not engaged in in harsh language, but you know the stakes are high, and it's a uh, you know the participation at every level, even from people who don't vote, is very great. Yeah. And and um, as you see, even in America, people who, who can't vote in the election, but certainly try to influence it. Yeah, no question about it. All right, as come to some of the big questions or bigger picture questions. What does this all mean now for President Trump's, um, you know, uh, a peace uh, proposal, whatever it's going to be, and and whoever's going to be included in it? First of all, timetable-wise, do we assume now that the election's over that we're actually going to learn what his peace proposal is? Uh, that's number one. And and secondly, I don't know, is it a good thing that the prime minister, who we know has a good relationship with him, is now in that position? Would it have been much different if the prime minister would not be in a position to be, uh, you know, prime minister again, uh, what could you tell us about Trump and Israel? Well, if the prime minister had not been reelected, it probably would have taken much longer to form a new government and to have it in place and in position to to negotiate. And they probably would have put it off longer. Um, obviously, Trump welcomed the election of Netanyahu, but he did say that there were two good men, uh, referring to both before the election, uh, the. The, there are a number of factors uh, that have to be taken to, into account. There, there are, I think it's amazing how they've been able to keep it under wraps and the um, amount of time and effort that has been put into this, um, but sensitive to, to the realities on the ground. The one is that the Palestinians continue to reject it and continue to say that they won't negotiate on the basis that America doesn't have credibility. I think that the Arab states might play a more a positive role in terms of saying it's a basis for negotiations. You should come to the table. I think that Netanyahu will like, and as the president said, and others have said, and there are things that they won't like, um, parts of the deal, but he cannot turn down the opportunity to participate in any process of that kind that the United States initiates. Uh, I think it will not be, uh, and I, I'm, this is my assumption, 
move towards a final deal, but as much as a progression and talk about first states the steps like economic development, and they have been shopping for money and support, and it's not clear that they're getting it for the um, for the economic development programs uh, in the West Bank and else, elsewhere. The the um, um, the, and then we have to see how the rest of the, you know, the other Arab countries around the, you know, Egypt pulled out of the Arab NATO, surprisingly, this week, uh, didn't participate in the meeting, and uh, whether the internal divisions within the Arab world will play out. We don't have today literally one uh, stable, fully stable Arab country in the whole region. The only stable country or countries in the whole area probably would be Cyprus and, and Israel. Wow. When you when you look at the situation in Algeria, or the situation in, in um, Tunis, in, in Libya, falling apart, Egypt with really serious challenges, Libya, uh, but but Egypt more stable, in Libya, um, in, in the trouble as is Sudan, uh, uh, failed states, Lebanon, Iraq, uh, Iran and, and Turkey with real economic problems and internal dissensions and the elections in Turkey underscored that. Literally, you go every country in the region and you see that there's so much instability in there. They don't want to see anything that adds to that. So they're going to be cautious about how they respond to to an, the initiative, even though it comes from the United States and allies would, would want to support it. But the latest polls show that 65% of Palestinians said that uh, that their leadership should reject the U.S. peace plan, uh, and 6% said accept it, and the balance, the 20% said you know negotiate over it. But the the overall attitudes that one sees, where they say overwhelmingly, almost 80% said no land swaps, no um, agreement that leaves Israel with security control over parts of of what the, they consider part of the Palestinian state. Uh, Netanyahu has clearly come out during this campaign against the Palestinian state and not promoting the two-state solution, but I think where the, you know, the, was, where the United States is uh, good offices to, to appeal to him, and uh, he could certainly not uh, turn down uh, um, President Trump and, and say that he won't participate in it. They'll obviously be critical, and I think they prepared everyone uh, for the fact that if you're putting forward a deal, you can't put it forward just as a, as a one-sided um, arrangement. But, mm. you know, the, the deep-seated hatred that has been inculcated in generations of Palestinians in particular, but Arabs in general, you know, and now we're paying the price for it because people are not attuned and ready to the idea of accepting, fully accepting Israel in the community, they they um, you know, will accept a, a particular economic deal or some uh, connection, even though more leaders, including uh, Bahraini, Foreign Minister Omanis, others have spoken out very clearly in the last few days about the need to accept Israel. The fact is that uh, overall, overwhelmingly in the 80s and even some countries in 90 percentiles, they do not support yet accepting Israel fully. I think that the, um, the what everyone fears is not really the plan or what the plan might say. I think everyone fears whether the president will apply pressure uh, to the prime minister, you know, pressure that will be, you know, too great to withstand or, you know, too difficult to withstand. We, we just don't, you know, with presidents, we always say presidents of the U.S., we always say about their, uh, you know, efforts to uh, establish a legacy and what better way to do it than with Middle East peace. 
And I, I think that that's what scares everyone, those of us who are observing all this, not the actual plan, no matter what it says, but what, what the U.S. attitude toward Israel will be once the plan is revealed. So I think the people involved are not doing this as just as an ego trip. I think that they really believe it and want to, to do the right thing. There are obviously people who are very supportive and sympathetic to Israel and its security needs, which the president and the vice president have always said is the number one consideration. Uh, and certainly Secretary Pompeo is very strong on this issue. I heard him uh, yesterday at the swearing of the Elon Carr as the new anti-Semitism special envoy. I mean, the depth of commitment and, and support is uh, is very great. So the, the um, but, but the administration has put so much into this right. that they will obviously put pressure and I think we can anticipate that they will want to at least get the people to the negotiating table, and Israel shouldn't be painted into the corner to be the one that says that they reject it. They will, they will say, "Look, there are part we like, part we don't like," and that's why you then have negotiations. But as I said, you can't divorce this from the realities on the ground. When we see in Lebanon the kind of of internal problems and the growing role of Hezbollah, the situation where this week on the on Iran that we saw the revelations of both in terms of their nuclear program and the sites that they didn't know about and that came out of the documents <laughs> that and they seem it, to be readily willing willing to admit to it now <laughs> and 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 they acknowledge yeah. this this at least these, this one site but there are many and that the IEA International Atomic Energy Agency people never even investigated and didn't even see and they see that the um, you know and as Iran looks at the own, their own projections which say that the IMF said this week that they'll, their economy will be down 4% uh, last year was down 4% and this year they think that the uh, inflation will increase by 6% and all the projections economic projections for them are terrible so you might look for you know diversions or uh, other issues and, and at the same time they face a lot of internal um, uh, challenges, but the situation in in Damascus, they closed their um, military bases around the Damascus International Airport uh, under Russian pressure. Uh, but they're still allowed to bring in light equipment. But the missiles and the uh, precision guidance systems and all that will have to go either through Iraq or through Lebanon to get to Syria. Um, but the situation there certainly in Syria is not stable. I think the situation in Iran. And, and in Turkey will not be so stable, and that while they have very strong governments that have a hold over the people and can do a lot, you saw in the election in Turkey that the, Ankara and Istanbul both went against Erdogan. It was shocking to him. I'm sure he did not anticipate any of this happening. So then you have to see what, what does Iran's economic conditions impose? Will Hezbollah be continued to be cut back and Hamas as the reports are now, will will they uh, pull out of Syria? Will they regroup in in Lebanon, where they obviously are taking increasing control? And do it when? At what point does it become in their interest to heat mm. up the border uh, with Israel? Does an American proposal right. uh, get a response from Iran, which is chafing under all the additional sanctions and the new, you know, the designation of the Iran Revolutionary Guard, is a very significant move. I know people don't necessarily consider it when they hear the announcement that it sounds good. But in fact, they control a significant part of the Iranian economy. They travel, they have businesses. All of those will become under the 
the, these new sanctions that are being uh, I- imposed uh, on them. So you can't look at a peace proposal in isolation from what is happening on the ground in the region. Jordan, we see the demonstrations by even Bedouins against the king, and they, they were his front line of defense and support. Um, that the the situation there, and there's a lot of speculation people put out about a million refugees will go under the plan to Jordan and there'll be a confederation and stuff. And uh, as one of the people involved said, you know, this is all pure inventions and speculation on the part of people. Uh, they have only a few people really know what's in it, and I don't know how much we'll know even when they announce it. But the, you know, the the I think that they have no choice but to have to come forward with it in a reasonable time. All right, a couple of things before I ask you for a, a big picture answer regarding the upcoming holiday, which we'll wrap up with. Um, do do they do the Arabs get it? And, and by the way, you may tell me I'm wrong that that they are that their real opinion or real feeling is that they feel they're not going to make any difference anyway. But do they get that if they would in fact vote and would not boycott the Israeli election, they could have, at least in terms of the results, they could have major influence? Well, they do have major influence still, and they are uh, they could have, as you said, a much bigger percentage uh, if they really turned out. But, you know, this is part of the ongoing um, M.O., Modus operandi of the of the Arabs, the Palestinians too. Think of what they could have done had they accepted all the aid, had they cooperated with Israel, had they uh, worked together. Uh, Abbas not been a rejectionist, and and over all the years of uh, the deals and offers, that they don't put the interest of the people, they don't look at the the, the long term uh, interests of their community, and even on a, a larger uh, impact. They they react and and they punish themselves and their own future and their own children by some of the acts that they do the boycotts the refusals to to uh, cooperate and to participate as you said in this in the government they would have a greater leverage they have leverage now and we see the Druze community Bedouin community becoming more politically active but boycotting the the election is is just cutting off their nose despite their face. Right. All right, anybody who follows me on Facebook and those listeners, of course, of this program know my reaction to Space IL, uh, which so many people uh, listening right now uh, witnessed yesterday or at least participated in by watching the live feed. What is your reaction uh, on this Friday morning to Space IL? It was a great achievement that they are only one of seven countries to achieve moon orbit. They're only one of four to five to land on the moon, even if it's a crash landing. The fact is that it will reach the moon that they uh, projected back to pictures, and it worked perfectly up until that point. It's something can be corrected, and God willing, the, the financing and other support will be there, as Prime Minister said, to finance it, to think that for under $100 million they did this when countries spent billions in order to have a space program and to be able to launch a, 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 a satellite to the moon. And I think it's disgraceful that the BBC led the headline, Israel fails in attempt. The New York Times right away started mocking it and, yep. and uh, portraying it in a negative sense. When you think about this little country achieved something that only the great powers like India, China, United States, Russia has, has achieved in the, in the past. So we can, I think, revel in the in the outcome and and say that the, the genius that that did this and I think whatever mis- went wrong there at the very last minute will be corrected. 
Uh, finally, you know, tomorrow is an opportunity for leaders in the Jewish world, uh, rabbinic leaders and those who are responsible for addressing their congregations and communities, uh, to really concentrate on national messages, uh, particularly about the future of the Jewish people. I know that sometimes the details of the upcoming holiday dominate the Shabbos HaGadol presentations. Uh, would you join me, Malcolm, in encouraging our leaders of all types uh, to present uh, at least partly, if not completely, on the uh, on the bigger picture issues uh, affecting us and the future of the Jewish people. Well, I certainly, uh, so you know, I certainly endorse that and hope that they will also talk about the relevance to today, both of the Seder experience of the contents of the Haggadah and uh, even Shabbos Haggadah, Shabbos Haggadah, because of the the, the Ness, that the Jews were great, that the Jewish people took the god of the Egyptians and took them to the bedpost and told the Egyptians, when asked, what are you doing? They say, we're going to sacrifice their deity. And and it's the emergence of the Jews after all the years of slavery and, and deprivation and denial that they had the inner strength, the, the, the conviction, the belief, and the trust in the that they could rise at that moment um, to to that to the pinnacle of of, uh, to, of of being able to stand up against their oppressors and to to take this kind of a bold action. When we see all the threats around us today, and people should talk about it and continue to remind people. We were at NYU this week for a meeting of the conference at NYU, but we met also with the students, and it was horrific what we heard. This on a New York campus of the harassment of the of the discriminatory practices, and it's true at Columbia, it's true at, at Kingsborough right now. We have uh, problems alone, let alone all the anti-Semitic attacks that continue apace at this, these high numbers and the, um, uh, you know, the, uh, what, what we see on the Internet in so many places uh, where anti-Semitism, big lies, the media distortions and misrepresentations, only when we stand up to it that we not be caught in a slave mentality, that you stand up and you speak out intelligently and strongly, both to the media, to public officials, to others, to make demands of them, uh, and to find out where you really stand on issues that presidential candidates can uh, already say that they're going to go back into the JCPA, that they're going to do other things, and that the and the need for, for uh, every party and everybody to stand together in denouncing anti-Semitism, as we would racism of any kind. The lesson we saw from Airbnb this week, that after everyone told us, you know, you're not going to get them to reverse with the lawsuits that were brought, with everything else, the pressure that we and, and others have sustained over the time to tell them the reality on the ground, that we're not going to allow that kind of precedent to be set. And, you know, people after the initial thrust, were, some people came to me and said, why are you continuing this? Because I said, you can do it. You can achieve it. They just have to know the price they're going to pay by by doing this. And many non-Jews, you saw how many governors and state legislatures, others warned them with their IPO would fail, et cetera. So I think that the lesson we have to take away is not one to, to decry and just to be, be, be moan, but to strengthen, to say we can overcome. I'm Yisrael. We, we have a Kodesh Baruch Hu with us. Will sustain us. Thank you very, very much. Enjoy Pesach in Vallarta. Oh, we will think of you.
And we I will... know how much you enjoyed saying it, so I think you can do it till Shavuos at least. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, yeah, if you meet anybody there ripping off my act, I want to know about it. Yeah, uh, well, make sure. And we will speak in three weeks. Have a wonderful Chag, and uh, thanks for joining us. And Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. And I uh, thank him for joining us. Reminder, everybody, this coming Monday, it's the Pesach Products Program. This coming Monday, our friends from the OU and from J Drugs will be in studio here at JM and the AM, and we will discuss Pesach products. Do you have a question? No problem. Put it in an email with the subject line Pesach question and send it to me, Nahum at NahumSiegel.com. Nahum, N-A-C-H-U-M at NahumSiegel, N-A-C-H-U-M-S-E-G-A-L.com. Simple as that. Do it, and uh, we'll include it in Monday's show. We look forward to the uh, Orthodox Union and J Drugs joining us this coming Monday right here at JM in the AM. Um, Matis speaks with Gorf this coming Sunday. People still talking about the incredible Haggadah that Jordan B. Gorfinkel and um, and Erez Tzadok are responsible for. Uh, Matis speaks with Gorf 7 a.m. Eastern time this coming Sunday on JM Sunday. Make sure to be tuned in. And that should be a fun conversation. As I said earlier, Matis and Gorf have a lot of common interests, so I'm sure it'll be a really fun and informative conversation. Erev Shabbos HaGadol, Erev Shabbos Parshas Mitzorah here at JM in the AM. Candle lighting at 7.12, 7.12, your official candle lighting time. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah. Oh, should I say? Should I say spiritual leader emeritus of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, after the incredible 50-year celebration this past Sunday night? Um, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Pashas Mitzorah. Pashas Mitzorah, according to the Chinuch, contains 11 positive mitzvos. And this Shabbos has the distinction of being known as Shabbos Hagodol. Now, there is a simon in Shulchan Aruch that identifies and tells us that this Shabbos is called Shabbos Hagodol, and the reason for that is severalfold. Firstly, to remember the miracle that took place on that Shabbos, namely on the 10th of the month of Nisan. The year we left Egypt, we left on a Thursday. That was the 15th. The 10th, as the Torah prescribed, was the day on which we were to designate the Korban Pesach. And we did. And when we tied the lamb and the sheep to our, or the sheep, to our bedpost, the Egyptians asked, hey, what's going on? And we told them that we are going to literally slaughter, consume their God. And while they might have gritted their teeth, they were not able to harm us, 
That in of itself was a miracle. In addition, the rabbis tell us that there was an additional miracle on that day, the 10th. Nine plagues had already come. Moshe had said to Paro, there's one more, and that is the Bechor, the firstborn, is going to die. Well, when the Egyptians heard this, they said Moshe's track record had been pretty good. Nine out of nine. And now, what's going to be? So they rallied and asked Paro to let the slaves go. Paro refused. And as a result, there was a civil war which took place on that day, and that is Lamakim Mitzrayim Bivchorehem. In addition, they point to the Avtorah coming from the last Navi that we had, Malachi, who concludes his prophecy of I promise you, I'm going to send Eliyahu to herald and announce the coming of Moshiach. When? Before the coming of that great day. So since the Torah ends with that note of optimism, we call the Shabbos, Shabbos HaGodol, anxiously awaiting that special moment. And finally, there is the practice that the Rav gives a longer drasha on this Shabbos, reviewing the laws of Pesach and giving people words of inspiration, of looking forward to this very special Yom Tov. And so, I'd like to share with you an interesting aspect of the mitzvah of Dalit Kosos, the mitzvah of the drinking of four cups of wine, and to share with you two different interesting points regarding these uh, cups of wine. Firstly, understand that on the night of the Pesach Seder, there are two biblical mitzvos, namely the mitzvos of eating matzah is biblical, and telling the story, Sipu Yitzias Mitzrayim. And there are three rabbinic mitzvos on this night. One, the mitzvah of moror, that nowadays the moror, the bitter herb, is rabbinic. In the future, when we have the Beis HaMikdash and the Korban Pesach, it will be upgraded. The second rabbinic mitzvah is that of drinking the four cups of wine. And finally, the third rabbinic mitzvah is that of Heseba, of leaning to the left when we eat the matzah and drink the wine. I'd like to, first of all, remind everybody that when it comes to 
the mitzvah of Arba Kosos, women, as the Gemara in Psachim Kufches teaches us in the name of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, that Noshim Chayovos Be'arba Kosos, women are obligated in the mitzvah of Arba Kosos, and even though it's a positive mitzvah governed by time, and we know that when the Rabbonim institute a mitzvah, it is ke'en de'oraisa, it is similar to that from the Torah, and since from the Torah women are exempt from positive mitzvahs governed by time, such as sukkah, shofar, lulav, they should be exempt from arba kosos as well, but the answer is they too were included in the miracle, which is understood by some that just like this thought is said by Hanukkah and Purim, that women have to light their Hanukkah and women have to hear the Megillah, because so some learn that they were included in the threat of those holidays, right? If a woman said that she would keep Shabbos kosher, she was threatened just as much as a man. And at the time of Haman, Haman wanted to kill all the Jews, male and female. However, Tosfo says that Afein Hoyubaosanes means not simply they were included, but they helped bring about the miracle. Yehudis by Hanukkah, Esther by Purim, and Bishus Noshim Tzidkonios in the merit of the righteous women who never lost their faith and were able to maintain the morale of their husbands and encourage them to have children and perpetuate the Jewish people. In their schus, we were redeemed and therefore, women too are obligated in the mitzvah of Arba Kosos. I'd like to point out an interesting machlokes as found in the Shulchan Aruch, Simon Tov Ayin Dalid in Hilchos Pesach, whereby the heading of the Simon reads, Al Kosheni Imivarchim. The Machaber writes that. Of the four kosos, the Svardim only recite the bracha of Borei Priyagofen on the first and the third. But on the second and the fourth, they do not. And the Ramah comes and says, wait a minute, we Ashkenazim recite four independent Borei Priyagofen for each of the four cups of wine. And the late Reb Shlomo Zalman, Orbach, in his Minchas Shlomo, Chilak Aleph, Simon Yudches, explains the Machlukes between the Machaber and the Ramah in the following interesting way. And that is as follows. What is the nature of the Bori Priyagafet? According to the Machaber,
The nature of the Bori Priya Gafen is a Birkas Hananin, like it is all year long, meaning that before a person benefits from different foods, they have to recite a bracha. The appropriate bracha for wine is Bore Prihagafen, and therefore we're going to follow those rules. And when we recite the Bore Prihagafen on the Kiddush, which is the first of the four cups of wine, the one reciting Kiddush and all those around the table know that there will be a second cup of wine coming. So when they recite the bracha on the first cup, the bracha of Bori Priyagafen is still ongoing and will cover the second cup. The reason why it doesn't cover the third cup, which we, which is for recited in conjunction with Birkas HaMazon, is because the meal constitute a hefsake, an interruption. And once he's making a Bore Priyagafen on the third, there's no need to make a Bore Priyagafen on the fourth, because he knows it's coming. This is the opinion of the Mechaber, and the Sephardims follow this. So you could say they end their Seder two minutes earlier, because they do not have two of the four brachos of Bore Priyagafen. They drink four cups of wine, just as we do, naturally. However, only two Bore Priyagafen. The Ramah says, no, our practice is that since, what? And here goes. Each cup is an independent mitzvah. The first cup is said in conjunction with the Kiddush, and the second one with the completion of the Magid, the section of Sipur Yitzias Mitzrayim, and the third with Birkas HaMazon, and the fourth in conjunction with the Halil. So the Bori Priyagafen that accompanies a Birkas Mitzvah is not your usual Birkas Bori Priyagafen, a Birkas Nanin, that I'm making the bracha because I'm going to drink a cup of wine. But no, we're thanking Hashem for creating the wine which enhances and enriches and accompanies certain mitzvos so that the primary purpose of the Bori Priyagafen is praise and thanksgiving for the wine that is together with the mitzvah. However, once we recite the Bori Priya Gafen, then it would be insulting to the wine if we did not drinking. But it's not the drinking which is the primary. It's the accompaniment. And since it accompanies four Kos Shel Bracha, we recite four Bore Priya Gafen. This is the first point that I'd like to share with you in conjunction with the um, wine that we're going to have, the four kosos of wine. The second halacha is regarding an interesting din, that when it comes to the wine, we say, how much should a person drink? Ideally, they should drink rove kos. I'm sorry, ideally they should drink the 
kos, the entire cup, and if not, they can drink rov, a majority of the cup. This is true regarding the wine. Regarding the matzah, when we're obligated to eat a kazayas matzah, we do not say that, well, if you can, eat the whole kazayas, and if not, eat a majority of the kazayas. Why by wine do we say that you can have a rove revius, and by the matzah we do not? So, the Chassam Sofer, in his tshuva, Orachayim, Simon Kuf Mem, gives an interesting direction and says the following. The Rubo Kikulo is only said, which is the majority, that is acceptable when I have a Mizgeris or a unit, which is a Halachic unit in its complete sense. So, for example, if I have a minion, my riv, my riv, I have ten Jews, and seven out of those ten Jews have not davin my riv, so if the other three are going to stay, I have a minion for my riv. However, if I only had seven, there's no question that I cannot recite Dvorim Shebikdusha, I cannot recite Mayriv and Kaddish, etc. Baruchu, which only can be done with a minion. Once I have the minion, then I can use the majority of the minion. And he compares it to the Halacha of Sanhedrin, a Sanhedrin of 23. So then, if I have 13 to 10, I follow. Now what if, whichever the 13 said, innocent or guilty, what if I didn't have 23 members showing up? I only had 18. But out of the 18, they proceeded, and it was 15 to 3. So we were missing 5 who never showed. So even if the 5 would have gone with the 3, it should work in a situation where I have 18, and it was 15 to 3, because it would have been even 15 to 8, and still it would have won out on the 15th. But that's not the halacha. The halacha says, I must start with the unit. Now, a revius is the definition of the kos. Once I have the cup, the cup has to be a revius. Interestingly, what is exactly a revius? So, the Chafetz Chaim said, in terms of our ounces, approximately four ounces. Rav Moshe, Zechat Tzadik said that even 3.3 ounces. And therefore, very important to know. The first Seder, which is the Kiddush, on Friday night, which is from the Torah, one should try to use, if they can, a cup, a kos of four ounces. Once I have the kos of four ounces, then I can drink a majority of the cup. The rest of the kosos could be, if need be, 
even the next night, and even a little bit more than 3.3 fluid ounces would be sufficient. That's when it comes to the wine. However, the matzah, which has the halacha, that a sheer achila has to be kazayas, we're not talking about that you have to have from a big matzah a kazayas. No, you can have small pieces as long as they add up to a kazayas. So the difference between the kazayas of the matzah, which is non-negotiable, you have to have a kazayas, whether it's coming from a third of a shmura matzah, a half of a hand, uh, excuse me, half of a machine matzah. The idea is the kazayas matzah is a shear. It's not negotiable. The the kos of revius is a definition in the cup. And therefore, once I have the cup, it is, quote, negotiable that I can't have even a majority of the coast. I just want to conclude and say that ideally one should drink wine. You don't have to have the wine with high alcoholic content, even a small. There is 3%, 4%, That is okay for the arbacosos and that is not too difficult when it's spread out over the four cups of wine. And if need be, you can mix that with grape juice. So really, four ounces mixed with grape juice, I'm having two, a little bit more than two per cup. That's certainly doable. Remember that when we celebrate, and we should be zochet to celebrate with each other, many different smachot, when you come, there is no grape juice at the L'chaim. There is champagne. There is wine. On the night of the Pesach Seder, we are celebrating what Hashem did for us in the past. We are celebrating in advance, in Mirz Hashem, what He's going to do for us in the future. And it's for this reason that ideally, unless a person who has, for health reasons, cannot drink wine, then they should resort only to the grape juice. Otherwise, wine, if need be, mix the wine with the grape juice. Wishing everybody a very special forthcoming week of preparing for the holiday of Pesach, which is uplifting in every which way. Shabbat Shalom to all. Bye, it's my love,
השם זקט החתן, החתן והכלה, לחיות באהבה. אנא השם זקט החתן, החתן והכלה, לחיות
Words from the Haggadah, Vihisha'amda. Ohad before that, J.M. in the A.M., Erev Shabbos Haggadol. I thank you all for tuning in. One week from tonight, the Pesach Seder, the night to celebrate freedom, the night to celebrate family, the night to celebrate the uh, incredible past, present, and future of the Jewish people. 
Time to say good Shabbos. It's Journeys at JM in the AM. Israel and our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish 
moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Reminder, Naomi Nachman table for two coming up next and at 10 a.m. Mark Zomig with a very special edition of the Erev Shabbos show presented by the wonderful people at Kedem. He includes a whole bunch of amazing clips from Chazen Sherwood Goffin of Blessed Memory when he joined Mark for a discussion about Nusach, about Tefillah, about prayer. Very interesting program from 10 a.m. until 1 p.m. on the Nahum Siegel Network. Then, of course, the Harry Rothenberg video blog, Parshas Mitzorah and Shabbos HaGadol, and then into the Arab Shabbos music mix with our wonderful friends at Kedem. It's all happening all day today. Keep it on NSN. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami. On, uh, Mon- on Sunday morning, it's JM Sunday with Matis. Jordan B. Gorfinkel will be his guest. JM Sunday begins at 7 a.m. live, live. Kudos to Matis. And Monday, of course, we're back. Don't forget, Monday, Pesach Products Program with our friends from the Orthodox Union and J-Drugs. It happens Monday here at JM and the AM. If you want to email us a question, put Pesach question in the subject line. Send it to Nahum at NahumSiegel.com. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Till Monday, Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.